Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Good morning. We'll be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Joanna, for sharing that with us this morning, and good morning, Harvest family. It's uh, good to see all of you here today, and uh, those of you that are home and other places as well, good to be together. You know, as I was uh, listening just a moment ago to Joanna read Romans 12, 1 and 2, I was kind of reminded of the fact that uh, I have heard uh, verse 2 of Romans 12. I have probably heard that verse, um, I'm sure, hundreds of times. Uh, perhaps even thousands of times I have heard that verse. I think it was probably the verse that every youth leader I had as a teenager uh, wanted us as teenagers to have as our life verse because they were bound and determined that we were not going to be conformed to this world. And so they would share that with us week after week after week after week. And that's not a bad thing because those are God's words from God's word. And so those are important words and critical words. But uh, when I heard it, it seemed like the emphasis was just placed on those open, opening seven words of the verse. And though they are important words, it's really the final 19 words of the verse that were so often overlooked. And those final 19 words are this, that by testing, you may discern. And by the way, the word that is translated here, discern, it literally means to fully and completely experience something. So in the margin of your Bible or whatever, you could write that down. So what Paul is saying is that by testing, you may come to fully and completely experience what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, now just kind of imagine that for just a moment. Imagine that there is something that we can actually do that God promises will allow us to fully and completely experience his good and his acceptable and his perfect will. Just imagine that for a moment. So in every aspect of our life, in every season of our life, even in the most difficult situations of our lives, God's best is available to us. We can come to fully and completely experience his good and his acceptable and his perfect will. Now, here's something very important. The last 19 words that we just spoke of, though they are critically important, the last 19 words can describe our life if and only when we put into practice the first 16 words of the verse. The the first 16 words are, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So if we're going to experience God's very best for our lives his good and acceptable and perfect will, 
then we need to follow the directives that are given in the opening 16 words of the verse. So last week, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And as we looked at that verse, we talked about giving God what he wants most. We learned that in light of God's mercies, we learned that uh, as an act of worthy of, of worship, giving God what he is worth, we need to surrender him those things that we are holding on to so tightly. We need to allow him to have a lordship over all of those things. We need to surrender them to him. Give God what he wants most. Now today, we're going to talk about getting God's best for our life. Getting God's best for our life. We want to learn from Romans 12, verse 2, how to fully and completely experience God's good and acceptable and perfect will in our life. Now, in verse 2, if you look at the verse, you'll notice that there is both a negative command as well as a positive command. And the point that God is trying to make, the point that the author Paul is trying to make, is that if we follow through on these two commandments, both the negative and the positive, we will put ourselves in the place where we can come to fully and completely experience in our lives and model before a world that is desperate for purpose God's good and acceptable and perfect will. So let's begin this morning by looking at the negative command. Let's look at do not be conformed to this world. Now, to really understand the point of that directive, the point of that command, let me illustrate it this way. If someone accused me of committing adultery, that would be a very, very serious accusation. If someone accused you, if you're a married person, if someone accused you of committing adultery, that would be a very serious accusation because adultery is very destructive. It breaks promises. It breaks trust. I think we all recognize that marriages can tolerate any number of imperfections in the two people involved, but it seems like there's one area where we tend to draw the line in the sand, and that line is no other lovers. No other lovers. Well, did you ever stop and think that this is essentially God's position with us? It is God's position with us. This negative command, do not be conformed to this world, is God declaring to his people that he tolerates no other lovers. No other lovers. He's giving us a command concerning spiritual fidelity. And so the question that the, this command causes us to ask ourselves, if we want to fully and completely experience God's best for our lives his good and acceptable and perfect will, the question that this command asks us is, am I a faithful lover? Am I a faithful lover? This negative command, do not be conformed to the world, is asking us to ask ourselves a question, am I a faithful lover? Now, whenever we study God's word, we've always got to remember that, that God's word was written to specific individuals or two specific groups of people in specific cultures at specific times. And since we aren't those specific people and we didn't live in those specific cultures at those specific times, sometimes we need to back up just a little bit and try to understand a little more how they would have understood it, how God meant it to be understood. And we certainly find that in this opening command, do not be conformed to this world. We need to understand exactly what is meant by the verb conformed. The verb conformed literally means to masquerade. It means to masquerade. It refers to an outward that doesn't reflect an inward. 
We all get that, don't we? We've all gone to masquerade parties or something like that where you put on a costume or you put on a mask so that the outward does not reflect the inward. And that's the idea of this word conformed. Another interesting thing about this verb, it's in what is called the passive voice. So what that means is that the action, and it's a verb, so it's an action word, the action, the conforming, is something that we allow to be done to us. In other words, we open ourselves up by doing certain things or not doing certain things to the conforming influences of this world. Another thing about this verb conformed, it's in what's called the imperative mood. That means it's a directive. It's a command. It's a prohibition. It has to do with our will. All right? There's some decisions involved in this. And then finally, it's in the present tense. That means that it's happening now, but it also means that it is ongoing action. It continues to go on. So if we take all of those grammatical insights and put them all together, this is what this command, do not be conformed to this world, is literally saying. It's saying, stop. Stop allowing yourself to continually be molded by the influences and pressures of this present world that we live in. Or maybe we could say it this way. Continually make the choice to stop allowing yourself to be shaped into something outwardly that you're really not inwardly. That's what the command is saying to us. That is what the command is telling us. So our question is, well, how does that happen? How is it that this world and how does this world have the power to mold us? How does this world have the power to influence us and steal our affections away from the Lord so that we tend to follow other lovers? How does that happen? What do we need to understand about this world? Well, the phrase this world is perhaps best explained in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, and I encourage you to follow along as I read these three verses. And look at how many times John, as he writes this little letter, refers to this world. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the subject of these three verses in 1 John chapter 2 is that there is a, there is a competition for our heart's affections. There is a competition for our love. On the one hand, you have the world and all that it offers and all of its desires. And on the other hand, you have God and all that he offers and all that he desires for our life. And the phrase, all that is in the world, is actually followed by three very specific things that really define for us this world system. Those three things are the desires of the flesh. We would probably call that today hedonism. The desires of the eyes, we would probably call that today materialism. And the pride of life, which we would probably define today as narcissism. Now, folks, each of these characteristics of this world is actually rooted in a very legitimate need or desire that God has given to us. They are not evil in and of themselves. The problem is this world system 
wants to take good things and make them into God things. They want to take good things and make them into things that we get all caught up in and all focused on and all directed toward, and we put them in a place in our lives that only God deserves. So this world system seeks to take good things and make them into God things or bad things. I mean, let's talk about each one of them for just a moment. Let's begin with the desires of the flesh or hedonism. What is hedonism? Hedonism is basically a passion for pleasure, a passion for self-indulgence. It is a passion for self-satisfaction. Now, again, let's understand that there is nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with avoiding pain. There is nothing wrong with finding satisfaction in the things that we do in our lives. There is nothing wrong with giving ourselves to those things and giving ourselves to the relationships that matter so much to us. But the quest or the constant quest for pleasure and the constant quest for self-satisfaction and the constant quest for self-indulgence, this devotion to the pursuit of pleasure that seems to occupy so many people That's contrary to God's good and acceptable and perfect will. And therefore, it is contrary to getting God's best in my life. And as followers of Christ, we are not immune to taking a good thing and making it into a God thing. We are not immune to falling into the trap of hedonism. Well, what about the desires of the eyes? The second thing that is mentioned, we would call that today materialism. What is materialism? Well, materialism is just simply the passion for things. And once again, there is nothing wrong with possessing things. There's nothing wrong with with owning a home, nothing wrong with owning a, a vehicle, Nothing wrong with having money in the bank, nothing wrong with having something set aside for for our retirement years. The problem is we live in a world system that is consumed by the passion to possess more and the passion to possess bigger, and the passion to possess better. It produces workaholics. It produces shopaholics. It accounts for the massive personal debt and financial pressure that so many people live under, and that includes many followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of that is an indication that our hearts have been seduced and shaped by another lover. We have taken a good thing, and we have made it into a God thing. So we need to watch out for the world system. We need to watch out for materialism. Well, the third thing mentioned here is the pride of life. Again, I think we'd call it today narcissism. What is narcissism? Narcissism is the passion for our own glory. It is the passion for self-promotion. Now, again, there there is nothing wrong with wanting to make a significant difference in our world. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting to do things that are important. There's nothing wrong with others treating us special, but the passion to be significant, the passion to be important, the passion to be upfront or treated special or viewed as better by others, uh, having our ego and our needs at the center of the universe, buying into a culture of entitlement, You know, in our world system, the system that we live in, in our culture, people will lie, they will cheat, they will bribe, they will backstab, they will take performance-enhancing drugs, they will take their clothes off, they will do almost anything with this unbridled passion for our own glory and our own self-promotion. And it's easy for followers of Christ 
to get sucked up into and get shaped by this narcissistic world system. And in doing so, we make a good thing into a God thing, and we miss out on getting God's best for our lives. We miss out on his good and acceptable and perfect will. I mean, listen once again to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. John writes, do not love the world. Not talking about the environment. Talking about the world system. Do not love this world system. Don't love the things that make up this world system. Why? Because if anyone loves the world system, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a very sobering statement, is it not? I mean, just think about that for a moment. If anyone loves this world system, if this world system has captured my heart, if it is what I'm chasing after, it is the center of my heart's affections, the verse says, God says, the love of the Father is not in him. I mean, consider what James writes when discussing this world system. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, James writes, you adulterous people. Sounds again like a lover thing, does it not? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world or this world system is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world system makes himself an enemy of God. Again, that's a sobering verse. That's a sobering thought. That if I allow this world system to capture my heart and capture my affections, if that's what I'm chasing after, I'm making a good thing into a God thing, then James writes, wow, that I am making myself an enemy of God. So at the heart of this is who I love. Who I love. At the heart of this is am I a faithful lover? And what we need to do is we need to get our focus on our love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to live for his pleasure. We need to live for his satisfaction. We need to live for what we might call biblical hedonism. We need to use our resources for his purposes, biblical materialism. We need to be impassioned for his glory and his promotion, biblical narcissism. That's what we need to be all about. That's what we need to be chasing. That's where our passions need to be. So again, the question is, do I have other lovers? Has the world system seduced my heart? Is the world system shaping my life? Do I comprehend how deeply this grieves the heart of our Lord who loves us and longs for us to experience his full and complete, uh, to fully and completely experience his good and acceptable and perfect will, who wants us to have his best for our lives? So you say, well, Mark, where do we start with all of this? How, how, do we, how do we make sure we're heading down the right path? Well, let me give a very simple assignment, and the assignment is this. Memorize Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and pray it back to God every day. It's a fairly simple assignment, is it not? Memorize two verses, Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and pray it back to God daily. You say, Mark, I have a hard time memorizing. Then write it on a piece of paper. Write it on a card. Write it on a, you know, on a card you put on the bathroom mirror or hanging down from the, uh, you know, the, the, the rear view mirror in the car so you see it all the time. What are those two verses? Those two verses, Psalm 139, 23, and 24, say this. It's a prayer. David's prayer should be our prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Let's remember that our hearts are deceitful. At times, they are desperately wicked. 
Scripture says we can't always know what's going on in our heart. Who understands our heart? God does. So I have to go to God and say, God, you need to search my heart. You need to search my heart, oh God. You need to know my heart. You need to try me and know my thoughts. God, I want you to see if there is any grievous way in me. Am I chasing after any other lovers? And God, you need to lead me in the everlasting way. You see, God doesn't want us to chase other lovers. He doesn't want us to be conformed to this world system. He wants us to stop allowing ourselves to be continually molded by the influences and pressures of this present culture and world that we live in. He wants us to be faithful lovers. That's the question this negative command is asking us. So if each day I would commit myself to memorizing those two verses, and each day I would sincerely go to God and pray his word back to him, saying, God, search me, know me, try me, show me if there's anything grievous in my heart, if I'm chasing after any other lovers, and then lead me in the everlasting way, do you not think that God will honor when I pray his word back to him? Do you not think he'll honor his promises? I think he will. I think he will. He'll open up our understanding. He'll let us see where there are grievous ways in our hearts. And he'll lead us in the everlasting way. So that's the negative command. Do not be conformed to this world. But there's also a positive command in this verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And that positive command is, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what is being talked about here? Well, let me illustrate it this way. About 20 years ago, there was a, a little documentary uh, that was made, that was released, and uh, the documentary was about a man who decided to test the quality of food at one of America's famous fast food chains. And uh, in this documentary, uh, the man had a 30-day plan and the 30-day plan was to eat nothing but fast food from that particular chain fast food restaurant. A medical tests were done prior to the experiment, and medical tests would be done following the experiment. They would test uh, levels of fat and levels of triglycerides and cholesterol, all the lipid stuff. They would test weight gain and overall health, and all of this would be recorded for the public to see. Now, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, the experiment never lasted 30 days. In fact, just after 20 days of a steady diet of only fast food from this particular chain, the man's body actually began to shut down. The high sugar, the high fat, the high processed foods began to build up toxins in his body to such a degree that after just 20 days, he didn't even make it to the 30 days. After just 20 days, he had to be hospitalized. Oh, the food tasted great, but it almost killed him. And as someone has said, we are what we eat. We are what we eat. Well, the same is true spiritually. We are what we eat. So if we are going to fully and completely experience, if we're going to fully and completely discern God's good and acceptable and perfect will, his best for our life, it requires the right diet. It requires the right diet. On the positive side, the most important decision each of us make every single day is what we allow into our minds. What we allow into our minds. So there is a positive command here. 
That positive command is be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We could put it into the form of a question. That question would be this. Could my mental diet be killing my soul? Could my mental diet be killing my soul? And as with the verb conformed, we also need to do just a little bit of background into the verb transform. Because again, it was written to a specific audience at a specific time in a specific culture. And we have our own idea of what it means to be transformed. But what word did God use? And what did God mean when he wrote this? So let's look for a moment at the verb transform. It is a translation of the word metamorpho. Meta means with or within. And morpho means to change. So transform literally means change from within or change within. Again, it's in the passive voice. That means the subject of the action is receiving the action. We are being transformed. It's in the imperative mood. It's a command. So we have a responsibility. There's an act of the will here. All right? There's something we need to be doing so we can open up, open up ourselves for that transforming process to take place. And it's in the present tense. So it's referring not to just present action, but ongoing action. So if we put all that together, what is this positive command actually saying? It's saying this. Allow God to completely change our inward thinking and outward behavior by cooperating wholeheartedly, moment by moment, with his renewing process. Just think about that for a moment. This command is telling us to allow God to completely change our inward thinking and outward behavior to transform us by cooperating wholeheartedly, moment by moment, with his renewing process. So in other words, we can be genuinely born again. We can be genuinely born from above. We can be faithful in our church we can verbally express our love for God. We can have sincere intentions and sincere desires to follow Christ and yet live, little, yet live lives that little resemble and little experience God's good and acceptable and perfect will, his best. Why? Because experiencing God's best has everything to do with renewing our minds. Because it's in renewing our minds that we open up ourselves to God's work of transforming our lives so we can experience his best for our lives. So what do we need to know about this renewing our minds? Well, a couple of thoughts here. One is this. It is a continual refocus. It is a continual refocus. It involves a continual intake of the word of God. It involves continual reflections on God's nature as we see that in creation. It involves continual times of worship and prayer. It involves constant interactions with fellow believers. As we do those things, they serve to do two things in our lives. Number one, they fill our mind with the truth that God is CEO of the universe and that Jesus Christ is to be Lord of my life. And as I begin to realize that, it helps me to enjoy Jesus and love Jesus and to learn how deeply I am loved by Jesus. Well, to be able to accomplish that, it's a continual refocus. It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in an hour. It doesn't happen in a week or a month. It happens in a lifetime. I think another thing we need to realize in this process of renewing our minds is that it will always involve a battle. It will always involve a battle. This world system... 
that we talked about a few moments ago from 1 John 2. This world system, as well as its architect, Satan, and my own human flesh all conspire to mold me, to conform me into something I'm really not. And renewing my mind requires work. It is a battle. I mean, just listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and verse 5. Paul writes this, For the weapons of our warfare. That sounds like battle language, does it not? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. We destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, again, just look at some of the phrases in those two verses. Paul talks about weapons of our warfare. He talks about power to destroy strongholds. He talks about destroying arguments. He talks about destroying lofty opinions. He talks about taking every thought captive. Those, those are, that's kind of battle language. And what Paul's telling us in those two verses is that this process of renewing our minds is going to be a battle. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil that are pulling us in one direction, seeking to conform us to something else and draw our affections away from God. So it's going to take work. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be an ongoing fight, an ongoing battle to renew our minds so we can open our lives up to the transforming work of God. And that brings us to the third thought about renewing our minds is at the end of the day, it is a supernatural work of God, a supernatural work of God. Yes, you and I have the responsibility to fill our minds, our spiritual diet with the right content, the word of God, God's creation, worship and prayer, God's people, true community. Yes, we need to fill our mind with those things. And that involves the daily surrender that we talked about last week in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where I surrender my life and I surrender my affections and I surrender my time to bring those things into my life. But the actual transforming work is ultimately a work of God. Paul writes in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as I take in the right spiritual diet, it opens up my life for God's transformative work in my life so that I can begin to fully and completely experience his good and his acceptable and his perfect will. So let's get practical. I need to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself what does my daily mental diet look like? What does my daily mental diet look like? Or maybe we could say it this way. What am I daily putting into my mind? What am I daily putting into my mind? Or maybe we could say it this way. What is the ratio between the amount of time I spend in God's word, in God's creation, and in community with fellow followers of Christ and the amount of time that I'm taking in the messages of this world. What is the ratio? I mean, just think about that for a moment. What is the ratio? Why? Because we are what we eat. And if we want to experience true spiritual metamorphosis, if we want to be transformed, if we want to allow ourselves to experience God's best, if we want to experience God's good and acceptable and perfect will, it takes place over time, and it has to involve a change in our mental diet a change in our mental diet. So again, where do we begin? Where do we start? 
Well, just a couple of thoughts. Number one, it doesn't begin by focusing on behavior. It does not begin by focusing on behavior. When we try to experience God's best by simply changing our behavior, it always results in one of two things, either self-righteous legalism or frustration, failure, and hypocrisy. So it doesn't begin with, by focusing on our behavior. It also doesn't begin by focusing on our attitudes, all right? Focusing on our attitudes, saying, well, I just need to be more joyful, or I just need to be less grumpy, or I just need to be more positive and less negative. That's not where it begins. Where does it begin? It begins by focusing on our thinking. The place we must begin is our thinking. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, said this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what we want to be on the inside, and if we really want to be transformed, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said, it's what you think. Because as we think in our heart, what we allow into our spiritual diet, that's who we really become. That's what we really become. So as we think in our heart, that's what we are. And that's why Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of our what? Not our behavior. Not our, not our, not our attitudes. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mind. It starts with our thinking. It starts with our thinking. And when our mind is being renewed and the daily messages that we allow to fill our mind are that we have a great God and we have a good God and we are so loved and we are so accepted and we are such a delight to him that he wants us to stay away from what breaks his heart and what ruins our walk with him, it becomes a totally different story. The paradigm shifts from controlling my behavior or adjusting my attitudes to expressing my love by following and trusting him because him is the one I'm filling my mind with. That's what God wants us to do. That's what God calls us to do. So how do we renew our minds? Well, we stop the flow of all the mental toxins and values of this world system from entering into our thinking and we fill our mind with the truth of God's word, the beauty of God's creation, and the encouragement of God's people. So again, let's put this in the form of an assignment. We already know that the first part of the assignment was to memorize Psalm 139, 23, and 24, or to write it on a card so we always have it with us, or write it down somewhere, or put it on our tablet, or on our phone screen, or whatever. Memorize that verse and praise it, pray it daily. Well, here's another part of the assignment. What if we did what we might call a media fast? Now, again, I don't want to get legalistic about this and say do it for a week, do it for a day, do it three hours, do it for 10 hours, not that. But what if we took some radical steps on a daily basis to shut down or shut off or slow down the supply lines of the bombarding messages of this world system? What if I just looked into my life and looked at all the messages that are coming into my mind every day and say, how can I cut some of that off? How can I have a mental fast from some of that? And in its place, fill my mind with the truth of God's word. Instead of spending so much time on my phone or on my tablet or on social media or whatever, or with the TV on, what if the time that I normally spend so much doing that, I spent more time in the word of God? Do you not think that there's a reason why the elders of our church 
have been talking to us since the end of last year about developing a daily reading program. And they've given us some options for doing that. And they've said, here's a couple of options. Or if you don't follow one of these options, find an option of your own. Why are they doing that? Are they doing that so when Jamie goes to a GCC meeting, he can say that 82.7% of the congregation are in a Bible reading program? How's your church doing? Not at all. They're doing that because they want us to renew our minds. They're doing that because they want us to be transformed. They're asking us to get into the Word of God because they want us to experience God's good and acceptable and perfect will. They want us to experience God's best. I mean, listen to the words of Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Listen to what Joshua wrote. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Sounds like a a diet, doesn't it? Sounds like something we take in all the time. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You will open yourself up to God's best for your life. I will open up myself for God's best for my life, his good and acceptable and perfect will. So let's memorize Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Let's cut down on the intake of the the diet of this world system. Let's spend more time filling our minds with the truth of God's word. Let's spend more time taking in the beauty of God's creation. When Hugh was up here this morning leading us in worship, one of the songs that we sang was about God's creation and all that creation tells us about God, all the messages that, that this creation that God has given us is sending us. Let's get out in it. Let's enjoy it. Let's fill our minds with the messages that it's sending. And then let's get the encouragement of God's people. You know, there are reasons why we encourage each other here at Harvest to get into a small group. There are reasons why we, we encourage each other not to just belong to a small group, but show up for the small group, to show up regularly, to show up consistently, to participate in it, to be an active part of it. Why? Just so we can say that we have X number of people in small groups? No. It's because of the mental diet. It's because what we allow to fill our minds, because whatever we allow our, to fill our minds opens us, opens us up when we fill it with the right thing to the transforming work of God so we can experience God's best in our lives. So let's memorize Psalm 139. Let's begin to cut out some of the messages of the world. Let's fill our mind with the truth of God's word. Take in the beauty of God's creation. Get the encouragement of God's people. It won't happen overnight. But after we begin to renew our minds in fresh and consistent ways, we will begin to experiencing something that only God can do. Something really amazing. Our thinking will begin to change. And as our thinking begins to change, our desires begin to change. Our attitudes begin to change. Our feelings will follow. We'll begin to see some behaviors that we've struggled with actually lose their appeal, lose their power as we shut down the supply of the world system and renew our minds with God's truth. And as we do that, just like Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, we will begin to see and experience fully and completely God's good and acceptable and perfect will. We will begin to get in our lives more and more of God's best for our lives. God's best for our lives. Let me close with these two verses. Words of Jesus found in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. 
Jesus said this, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. In other words, you are truly following me. Jesus says, this is what it means to really follow me, abiding in my word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth as apart from all the lies, and the truth will set you free. Let me ask you, are there things in your life today that you would truly like to be set free from? Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you're really following me. You're going to know the truth, and you're going to be set free. You're going to be set free. So why do we do all of this? Why do we, um, why do we follow the words of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and, and seek to give God what he wants most? Why do we follow the instruction of verse 2 and, and think about what we need to do in our lives to get God's best for our life? We do it for one reason. We do it because of all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And one of the ways we at Harvest remember that, one of the ways that we focus and reflect on that is by taking communion together. Because when we take communion together, we remind ourselves that this is the one that I follow. This is the one that I love. This is the one that gave his all for me. And therefore, I want to give him my best so that I can open my life to receive his best from my life. So let's bow our heads together. And as we bow our heads together, let's just, um, let's just spend a moment or two in just personal, quiet uh, meditation, silent worship, and just reflect back over what we've been hearing the last two weeks about surrender and about renewal, about giving God what he wants most and getting God's best for my life. And think about why we should do any of this. It's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all because of what he did on the cross. It's all because of what he accomplished and his final victory, his death, and his resurrection. Let's just pray silently together. Father, we recognize that um, everything that we've been looking at these last two Sundays from these two verses in Romans chapter 12, that, that any, any ability to understand what you give us in terms of instruction, any ability to, 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 to follow through on it, to act on it, to live it out, is all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Father, we thank you today that we, um, we have the privilege as a church family to share together in communion and in so doing to remind ourselves of all that Jesus Christ has done. Father, we don't obey you. We don't follow you because uh, we get some kind of spiritual brownie points or we get some kind of smiley face on our, our spiritual homework. No, we do it because, because of Jesus Christ and all that he accomplished on our behalf in his life and death and resurrection. So, Father, as we share in communion this morning, might we, um, might we look into our hearts, and if there be grievous ways in us, 
might we ask you to search our hearts, know our hearts, try our hearts. And Father, might we be willing to be led in the everlasting way. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Thank you.